Hey everybody, Pastor Joel coming to you from the confines of my office at the church. Um, This last Sunday, of course, we spent most of our time thinking about the coronavirus and the impacts that that has had on our society and even on our church. And so we didn't really get to our study of 1 Samuel chapter 28, which is where we are at in the book of 1 Samuel. So instead of uh, spending time on that this last Sunday, we're actually going to go through that content now. So uh, I hope you have a Bible in front of you and you're ready to dive into God's Word with me here as we really take a look at what God has to say to us through the book of, uh, excuse me, the chapter of 1 Samuel. So I'm going to go over my sermon that I had planned from this last Sunday, and hopefully that'll be, uh, that will minister to you, especially in this time of coronavirus fear and uncertainty, uh, because certainly that's dealt with in this chapter too, um, as we think about what to do when God seems silent or far off. And I'm actually going to start by reading the scripture passage to you from 1 Samuel 28. Going to read through the whole chapter here. It's not too long, but it is a really strange chapter. And as though you don't have enough to be scared about these days, this scripture reading from this chapter is really kind of like a scary ghost story that you'd read at Halloween. So Before we get into it, I think a little musical accompaniment is appropriate. That's right. It's like an episode of The Twilight Zone, 1 Samuel 28 is. So, let's begin. 1 Samuel chapter 28, starting with verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. 
for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give also Israel with excuse me, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to you and what you have said to me. Now therefore you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you. Eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it, and she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Now we played the music from The Twilight Zone a little earlier, and there are certainly many classic episodes of that show that I saw when I was a kid. But when I was a teenager, there was one night of the week that was most important to our, not most important, but very important to our family, and that was Friday nights, because that was the night that a certain television show came on that pretty much all of my family enjoyed, The X-Files. It told the stories of Agents Mulder and Scully, two special FBI agents who tracked down paranormal cases like aliens and ghosts and the like. And this passage from 1 Samuel 28 sounds a lot like an episode of the X-Files or the Twilight Zone. And I'm not using hyperbole here. There are actually many biblical scholars who count 1 Samuel 28 as one of the strangest chapters of the entire Bible because it raises a lot of questions. And you'll probably have a lot of questions about this chapter even after this podcast today. For instance, did Samuel really come back from the dead as a ghost? And if God condemns seances and necromancy, then why does he seem to speak through Samuel as a ghost, through a process that he has condemned and forbidden his people to be a part of? Uh, at one point, also, Samuel says that Saul and his sons would be with him, in other words, dead on the next day. But if Samuel is a faithful prophet and Saul is an evil king, does that mean that Saul is going to be in heaven? So there are lots of questions that arise from this passage. And to be honest with you, I don't know the definitive answers to really any of them. Uh, I'm going to tell you what I think about some of these questions as we look at this chapter. But the truth is that we won't know the answers this side of eternity. And as we go through this text, I'm actually going to encourage you not to get bogged down with the questions that we can only speculate about. Instead, let's focus on what this chapter tells us about God. And uh, that's part of preaching through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. It forces you to deal with the weird parts, <laughs> the parts that kind of raise your eyebrows. And you have to ask yourself the question, what is God teaching us through even this weird section? So before we get to the Twilight Zone part of this chapter, we read that David was still with the Philistines, and this time the Philistines are gearing up for a decisive battle with Israel. So all of a sudden, David kind of finds himself in a tight spot. 
Uh, previously, when he was with the Philistines, he never actually fought against Israel with the Philistines. Instead, he fought against other people who were living inside Israel's borders. This time, though, David is going to battle with the Philistines against Israel. But how in the world could he do that? How could the God-ordained king of Israel join with Israel's enemies to fight against Israel and still be king someday? Certainly nobody would follow a king who fought against his own people at one time. And unfortunately, we don't get the answer to that question in this chapter. The author kind of leaves us hanging. Uh, Like when a TV show builds up to a huge cliffhanger right at the end of the last episode of the season, and you have to wait all summer to find out what happens in the first episode of the next season. So we'll actually see how that plays out this coming week on our live stream of the service this Sunday. But just as David is trying to decide what to do about this ultimate showdown between Israel and the Philistines, Saul is actually doing the same thing, except on the other side of the battle lines. Saul is preparing for war against the Philistines, and it's not going well. Because we read in verse 5, it says that when Samuel saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, he did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So Saul draws up his battle lines and is scared to death. And to make matters worse, when he tries to ask God about it, there's just crickets in the background, nothing. There's no response. It says that Saul tried to hear from God through dreams, through the Urim and the Thummim. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. It's like flipping a coin. And also through the prophets, but none of those things worked. God was silent towards Saul. So the question becomes, what do you do when God is silent? What do you do when God seems to be far off? Have you ever felt that way, that God is silent or far off from you? Uh, David certainly did, and we've read about that even in this study of 1 Samuel by looking at what David wrote in the Psalms. He's been living in exile for 10 years as an outlaw. And you better believe that there were a lot of times in David's life where God seemed to not respond or to be far off. In fact, if you go back just one chapter from here, you'll find one of those points in David's life, and even the beginning of this chapter... I think he's still kind of at that point. He's still with the Philistines. He's still in this weird spot. And now here in chapter 28, though, God is silent toward Saul. And actually, he's been silent toward Saul for a long time. But this time, it has Saul very worried because it appears that God has kind of cut him off. So the question is, what do you do when God seems silent or far off? Again, what Saul is feeling here is is not exclusive to him. Many of God's people in Scripture have gone through this exact same thing, and maybe you have as well. And so we can learn from Scripture about what we should do when God seems silent or far away. And the first thing that I think we should do is ask ourselves why God seems to be silent. And as we ask that question, That should lead us to look deeply within ourselves to see if there's anything going on in our hearts that would inhibit or detract from our hearing God's voice through his word or discerning his presence and activity in our lives. In other words, when God seems silent, we should examine ourselves. And this is a pattern that you can see David go through numerous times throughout the book of Psalms. For example, if you go to Psalm 26, you can turn there in their Bible, turn there in your Bible if you have it. Go to Psalm 26. The psalm starts with, in verse 1, David says, Vindicate me, O Lord. 
Now stop right there. That phrase, vindicate me, should tell us something about David, and namely that David is in trouble in this psalm, so much so that he needs help, God's help to get out of it. He needs God to vindicate him, to get him out of this situation that he's in. But so far in this psalm, for whatever reason, God hasn't done anything. He hasn't been vindicated yet. And I'm sure that that must have been somewhat frustrating to David. Why does God seem far off from helping me? And so in the rest of Psalm 26, David goes through a process of self-examination, and he asks himself, is there anything in me, anything going on in my heart, in my mind, in my life that would keep God far off? And then he kind of takes a personal spiritual inventory. Again, if you look at Psalm 26, verse 1, it says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. So the first inventory David takes is in his faith. Am I trusting in God? Am I walking with him? Am I in step with him and in tune with what he's doing? And then he takes an inventory of his behavior. If you look at verse 4 of Psalm 26, he says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. So David kind of takes a look at his life and determines that he is being obedient to God in his conduct here in this psalm, in Psalm 26. He's pursuing the truth, he says. He's not living in lies. He's not being hypocritical, and he avoids evil at every turn. You see, he knows that if there is some unconfessed sin in his heart or some, un, some habitual sin in his life, that could be why God is silent. That could be why God seems far off. But the only way he's going to know that is if he takes stock of his life, his thoughts, his desires, and his action. And so that's what we see him doing here in Psalm 26. David is taking a personal inventory. Look again at uh, verse 11 of Psalm 26. He says, but as for me... I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Again, David says in that verse, redeem me, Lord, be gracious to me. Now that implies that what he's going through right now isn't very pleasant. And so far, God hasn't really done anything to help him. Well, why not, Lord? Well, it can't be because there's some secret sin in his life hiding it away in his heart because he's doing this personal inventory and nothing stands out to him. The point is that when God seems silent or far off, the first thing we should do is examine ourselves. Have you ever heard the expression, when God seems far away, it's not him who moved? There's a lot of truth to that. If God seems silent or far off, it's not because he's abandoned you, Instead, it's probably because there's something going on in your heart or in your life that wants him to stay far off. Because if he got any closer, this sin in my heart would be exposed. And if I'm going to be honest, I kind of like this sin. It makes me comfortable. When God seems silent or far off, examine yourself. And again, you can see David do this numerous times throughout the Psalms. 
Psalm 139, he prays and he says, Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And if you make that your prayer and you go through that process and find out that you are trusting the Lord and that your life is conformed to his will, then just wait. Wait for the Lord to answer. Be strong. Let your heart take courage in his faithfulness and wait. But if you pray that prayer and you do find something lacking in your heart and life, then make changes. Repent. Go back to the cross. Get the forgiveness that he has promised. And then get back on the horse. And then be strong and let your heart take courage that God is gracious and he's merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that's what we see uh, also in David's life. In Psalm 27, he says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Listen, if you're waiting on God to speak into your life, or if you're waiting on God's will to be fulfilled in your life, don't lose heart. Be strong. Take courage. God has never failed once in human history, and guess what? Your case isn't that unique. It isn't something that's going to finally stymie the Lord. God isn't perplexed and confused by what's going on in your life. He isn't perplexed and confused by the coronavirus He has a track record a million miles long. He will come through. So if God seems silent to you, or if he seems far off, take stock of yourself, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. So that's what you should do when when God seems silent or far off. Take stock of your life. But now back to 1 Samuel 28, if that's what Saul is supposed to do, that's not at all what he does. Because if he had examined himself and taken stock, he would have seen loads of corruption and evil in his heart that have been causing him strife and grief for literally decades. But he was much too proud to think that he could ever be the source of his own misery. So instead of examining himself and repenting and waiting and trusting God, he instead turns to something that God has condemned, something that God actually calls an abomination as he searches for answers. But Desperate times call for desperate measures, right? No, they don't. For those who trust in the Lord, there are never any desperate measures. And I think that's another thing that we can learn in this time of viruses. There is only the certainty and hope of God's faithfulness and goodness. Uh, Here's what Saul does when God seems silent and far off. Back to 1 Samuel 28, verse 7. It says, then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul thinks, well, God has stopped talking to me, but I need to know what to do. So I'll go and conjure up a dead person and ask them. Now, this is also known as divination or necromancy, communicating with the dead. And this is significant because God has strictly forbidden this practice among his people. And Saul knows full well that God deplores necromancy. Uh, In fact, in 1 Samuel 28, verse 3, we already read this, but it says that Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of the land. So if there's one thing that Saul has done right in his reign, it's to get rid of all the spiritists and mediums and psychics and all that other mystical junk. But now, here in verse 7, Saul tells his servants to go find him a medium. Saul is desperate, 
and in his desperation, when God seems silent and far away, rather than examine himself and take courage in God's faithfulness, he turns to something that God abhors. This is what we uh, know about God from Leviticus 19.31. God says, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 to 12, God tells his people, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why is... Why are these kinds of things an abomination to God? Because people who would go to these mediums to get some kind of secret message that only they had, right? They would supposedly communicate with the dead to hear about the future, to learn their fortune, or to get some secret message. But of course, to know the future or to know fate is a knowledge that only God has. So to go to a medium or to try to speak with the dead, God actually says is a form of idolatry. In the same way that people thought that idols could give them some special favor or fortune, the same was thought of all these mystical practices. Oh, I can get something out of this from this dead person that I can't get from the true God. And God calls that idolatry. And that's what Saul is doing here. He's essentially consulting with an idol rather than doing business with the one true God. And that is why it is an abomination to God to consult with psychics and mediums. And Saul knows this because look at what he does in verse 8. It says that Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And so she asks him who he'd like to speak with. And he says, Samuel. And so she does her little mumbo jumbo. And lo and behold, Samuel appears. Now, Like we said earlier, the fact that one of the greatest prophets was summoned through a seance to speak with Saul brings with it all sorts of questions. Was it really the ghost of Samuel? Or could it have been a hallucination, maybe? If it really was Samuel, did he come against his will? Or did this work like it does in the movies, (laughs) where he just calls somebody up and they come up? Is that really what happened? And if it really was Samuel, why wasn't Samuel in heaven with the Lord? And if the message from Samuel to Saul really was God's message, then why did God choose to speak to Saul in a way that he said was an abomination to him? And the ghost of Samuel seems to know the future. How does he know that? Well, like I said, this is one of the strangest chapters in the whole Bible. And again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these questions right now because it's easy for us to get kind of bogged down in the weeds of a passage like this and to miss what is really being said in Scripture. But as an accompanying thing to this podcast, I'm going to write a blog and try to answer some of these questions. So you can take a look at riverviewbaptist.net for that blog post. But for now, let's just take a look at what this alleged ghost of Samuel tells Saul. In verse 15, Samuel says to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand 
and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Now, if you're paying attention, there are three very stark realities in what Samuel says to Saul. First, Samuel says that God has become his enemy. Now, that's a rather stark reality to come to grips with. The creator of the universe and the Lord and judge of all men has become my enemy. And faced with that news, what would any rational, God-fearing person do? You would think that they would do whatever they could do to not be God's enemy and instead to be his friend. You'd think that they would turn from whatever evil has put them at odds with God and run to him for forgiveness. And indeed, that is God's desire for his enemies, that when they discover that they are at odds with him, that they will turn from their sin and come to him for grace and forgiveness. That is God's open invitation to all his enemies. Come to me and be saved. You stand no chance against me, so don't be my enemy. Be my friend. And of course, the way to become God's friend is by coming to him on his terms, which is through his son, the Lord Jesus. By coming to him, acknowledging that you've been his enemy and that you don't deserve his kindness, but he's giving it to you anyway, and you come to him by believing his, in his son, by believing that Jesus died for your sin, and in so doing, repenting and turning from the sin that made you God's enemy in the first place. And if you repent and believe, you will no longer be God's enemy, but you will instead be called a friend of God. That invitation is open to you, and it was open to Saul. And by telling Saul that God has become his enemy, what I think Samuel is doing here is he's telling Saul, it's not too late. You can still repent. You don't want to be God's enemy. Turn from your sin, Saul. So that's the first really stark reality that Samuel has for Saul, but it's not the only one because he also tells him that everything that has happened is exactly what God said would happen. The ghost of Samuel harkens back to a time, probably about 20 years before, where God told Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. But Saul didn't do that. He did it about 90% of the way, but kept some of the spoils of war for himself. And at that time, God told Saul that since he disobeyed him, the kingdom would be taken away from him and given to a man who was after God's own heart, to this other man, of course, David. And here the ghost of Samuel reminds Saul that that happened. And what I think Samuel is doing is giving Saul even another chance to repent. Because over the previous 20 years, Saul has had chance after chance after chance to repent and to turn from his sin. But time after time after time, he has instead hardened his heart preferring his own decisions to God's decisions, preferring his own wisdom to God's wisdom. And where has all that led him? To the house of a witch who allegedly conjures up dead spirits. What a legacy. And what, the, what this is, again, is another chance for Saul to see how horribly he has bungled his life in obedience. Another chance for him to repent. And then finally, the ghost of Samuel tells Saul that by the next day, Saul and his sons will be with Samuel. Now, what does that mean? It means that the battle won't go well for the Israelites, and it will go even worse for Saul and his sons because by tomorrow, 
they'll be dead. Now, just think about that for a minute. Imagine if you knew the exact date of your death. Is there anything you'd change between now and then? Are there any fences you'd mend? Any apologies you might make? Wouldn't you do your best to make things right in any situations that you might have done something wrong in the past? Some people talk about making deathbed confessions and getting themselves right with God before they die. Well, that sounds nice, but not only is it somewhat disingenuous, you're at the distinct disadvantage of not knowing precisely when or how you'll die. Well, here, Samuel tells Saul that he's got about 24 hours to live. And remember, at the present time, 24 hours before his death, Saul is still an enemy of God. Now, if you were Saul, how would you spend the last 24 hours of your life? Wouldn't you do any and everything you could to make peace with God? What Samuel is doing is telling Saul that he has one last chance to repent, to make things right between him and God. 24 hours to turn from his sin and put his faith in the Lord. Now, we said earlier that the proper response to when God seems silent or far off is to examine yourself and to identify any problem areas and then repent. Well, Saul here, he didn't even have to examine himself. The ghost of Samuel did it for him and showed him where he was lacking. And in knowing these things, again, Saul has this one more chance to repent. But in typical Saul fashion, he doesn't do that. He hardens his heart. Verse 20 says that then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. I suspect that rather than feel sorry for his sin, Saul felt sorry for himself. And as we'll see in a couple of weeks, everything in Saul's life here plays out exactly the way Samuel said that it would. And as we've said earlier, the phenomenon of God being silent toward his people and perhaps feeling far off isn't limited to Saul. David had times like this. I suspect that you have had times like this. But listen, what separates David from Saul is how they respond to times when God is silent and feels far off. When God seemed silent and far off to David, he took a personal spiritual inventory, and when he found sin in his heart, he repented and waited for God and took strength and encouragement from the testimony of God's faithfulness in the meantime. When God seemed silent and far off to Saul, what Saul did is he decided, no, I'm not going to worry about my sin. And he utterly disregarded his own personal responsibilities before God, and then he doubled down on his sinful tendencies. And so the message from this chapter is, be like David, not like Saul. And you might even be in one of those times right now where God seems far off. Think about it. Here we are uh, in the middle of March in 2020, hunkered down because of a virus. What should we do? What should we do with this? Can I suggest to you that the, the, the biblical response is to examine yourself to take a personal spiritual inventory in times like this when God might seem silent or far off. And then when you find sin in your life, repent. And then be strong and take courage and wait for the Lord to deliver you because he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is gracious and merciful. 
the Bible says. Psalm 145, verse 9. Listen, when God seems silent and far off, he is actually as near as your willingness to repent. And the fact that you're vertical and breathing oxygen, that you're listening to this podcast, confirms that God has given you at least one more chance to repent and believe. So search yourself, know your sin, turn from it, and trust in your God. That's what we get from this ghost story of 1 Samuel chapter 28. God seems silent. He seems far off. What should I do? Go looking for answers somewhere else? No. Search yourself. Take a personal inventory. Turn from your sin and wait for your Lord. Let me close this in prayer. Our Father God, we do thank you that you are never far off. And Lord, even in those times where you might seem like you are distant or where you are far away or that you are silent, God, you are actually here right with us, right here with us. And Lord, that feeling of distance and silence is most likely due to some creation of our own making. Lord, some, some feelings that we have conjured up because of probably what is sin hidden away in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us the grace to take that personal inventory, to look within ourselves, to find the sin that might be separating us from you. And Spirit, give us the, the grace of repentance to turn from that sin and to follow Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of the, your word, even the, the, the parts that seem strange or distant or, or odd or in some ways, because you have spoken to us through it so clearly and shown us who you are and who we are. God, help us to respond to it. Help us to, in those times where you do feel far off or silent, and we know the truth is otherwise, Lord, give us strength. Give us courage. Give us patience as we wait for your strong hand to come and deliver us. Lord, I ask that now as we sit here in our homes, unable to gather together because of this fear of the of virus spreading around amongst us. Lord, I ask that you would give us strength and courage in this time, and that we might be examples of the strength and courage that you provide to others who are likewise in fear. Lord, we ask that you would bring a swift and mighty end to this virus, that those who have been infected would be healed. And Lord, that your people would be able to use this time to show the world that there is a God who is alive, and he is our God, the God of the Bible. God, that you would make us your witnesses during this time. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before you go, I'd just like to give you a little reminder that this coming Sunday, March 22nd, we will not be having our usual gathering for worship. Instead, we're going to be live streaming the worship service. I'm going to ask you to take a look at our website, riverviewbaptist.net. There's all kinds of information on there on how we are continuing to connect with one another and connect with God's Word during this time of absence when we're not able to gather in larger groups because of the coronavirus. So, uh, there, we've got new options for Sunday school, ways to do Sunday school during this time. 
We're going to be live streaming the service. Our community groups are going to be meeting virtually. We're going to have an online prayer meeting um, as well. So keep all of those things in mind. Check out riverviewbaptist.net. Click on the big coronavirus update graphic right on the homepage, and that will take you to all these different ways that we are continuing to gather, although not in body, but certainly in spirit and in mind with one another. So do that. I look forward to seeing you all someday again, hopefully soon, Lord willing, in person, where we can all celebrate what God has done during this time and his power in bringing this crisis to an end. So uh, God be with you all. I look forward to seeing you in person. God bless.